Amen, amen. Thank you, Q and Nick. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey. Hey, so good. So good to be back together. Um, how many of you guys got outside this weekend? Yeah? Feels good. Feels good to see the snow melting and to actually get some vitamin D back and sun exposure. Uh, it's been wonderful. And excited about uh, this new week. And actually, this week is actually the second to last full week left of the quad. So beginning next week, um, all, all four weeks of April are all four-day weeks when it comes to chapel and classes. So things are going to go quickly. Things are going to go quickly. However, uh, we have some wonderful, wonderful things in store. And as we continue on our second week of our theme of Gospel Reflections, um, this morning we have our speaker. Um, let me just share a little bit about him and make a connection to, uh, to what's going to be coming in a couple weeks. Uh, two weeks from this week is Week of Prayer and Service. And where uh, we have a day set aside on Thursday, particular April 11th, and that, that day of prayer and service, we're encouraging everyone to sign up uh, for one service project. And a part of that is in, is in partnership with Kids Against Hunger. So if you've ever been to Feed My Starving Children, so very similar, we're bringing a, uh, an all-day packing event to the Erickson Gym. We have four time slots for you to sign up for. Um, for they're an hour-and-a-half time slot, and uh, we're inviting you to come and to pack uh, that day. And then we have three prayer walks that are happening, one on campus, one in our community in the neighborhood, and then one in the city of St. Paul. And those are going to run concurrently with the packing slots. And so you'll be getting an email out later today, early tomorrow morning, with uh, the details on how to sign up. And if you want to sign up as a, uh, as a hall, as a, as a Bible study, as a group of friends, um, as a department, that email will be coming out uh, in the next 24 hours. But um, the, the leaders of that, that satellite uh, Kids Against Hunger location um, are, are Steve uh, and Barb Norell. And Steve is actually our speaker here this morning. And so as you get to see him and, and uh, get to know him today, you'll be getting to know him and his wife on that day of prayer and service as you come through, be going through an orientation before you go pack in the Erickson gym. And uh, Steve and Barb have spent uh, 14, uh, they were sp spent 14 years in the Dominican Republic serving as YOM missionaries and are currently still serving with YOM in the base uh, here in Minnesota. And they run the, the satellite uh, Kids Against Hunger location. And uh, Steve and his wife Barb have been married for 45 years, coming up on 45 years. They have two grown adult sons. And uh, they simply just love Jesus, and I'm really excited for you to hear uh, from Steve uh, this morning. So would you please give a warm Northwestern welcome uh, to Steve Norell as he comes up. <clears throat> and uh, would you place a handout over Steve and a hand up as we pray for him and for our own hearts. Father in heaven, we are indeed so thankful that we can come together to encounter you together in community. Thank you for your love. Uh, thank you for your compassion. I thank you for your grace and mercy and patience. I thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord and that you are Lord over this time and over each of our lives. And thank you for bringing our brother Steve and his wife Barb here. Pray that, pray that as Steve shares, that you would fill him with your spirit, that he'd be a pure channel of your grace to flow through and that our hearts would be fully attentive, uh, engaged, and uh, with great anticipation, uh, Lord, as we receive from you your word through your servant, and that it would implant in our hearts and take root and produce fruit that would last for your glory. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. 
Good morning. I have really only have one point today. I want to encourage each of you to live a life of compassion. It's so deep within the heart of God to have compassion. He shows compassion toward us, and so we should show compassion toward others. This morning, I want to really encourage you to listen with your heart. I know a lot of times we listen with our heads, and I'm not telling you not to turn your brains off or something like that, but I want to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with you about life and about uh, compassion and what that's, what that's like, what type of an effect that that has on the rest of the world. Can you use your sanctified imagination this morning? I'd like you to imagine that yesterday you were rescued. You were unconscious in a burning building and a stranger pulled you out, pulled you to safety, and in, in the process, he gave up his life. How would you feel this morning when you woke up? What would that do to you? How would that change your life? Really, the real story is much better if how Jesus uh, came and showed compassion to us. And he gave up his life for us, and he was a stranger to us. And I want you to never lose that sense of being rescued. If you woke up each morning and recognized that, I've been, I've been rescued. What do, I, what do I do with that? How do I show compassion toward others the same way that the compassion has been shown toward me. I recognize that we're saved by faith and not by works. I'm going to read to you uh, um, a portion out of Matthew 25, which would, if you only read this passage of Scripture, you would find that you go, well, no, I'm actually saved by works if you just looked at this. So it's the passage where Jesus is telling parable after parable through uh, um, Matthew 25, and then he comes to this parable, but it's not a parable at all. He's ta uh, talking about what is going to happen in the future, and he's giving an illustration uh, of that. And so he says, when, when the king has come in all of his glory, the nations will be gathered before him, uh, and the king will separate the peoples as a, a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left hand. And he will say, to, uh, he'll turn to those at his right hand and he will say, come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom which is prepared for you. Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was, I was naked and you clothed me. I was, I, I was a, uh, a stranger and you took me in. I, uh, um, I was in prison, I was sick, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him and, uh, and they'll say, Lord, we wish that were true, but we would have remembered that. When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we... Uh, were you thirsty and we gave you a drink? When were you in prison and sick and we came to visit you and, and minister to you? When were you a stranger and you, uh, we invited you in? And Jesus turned and said to them, as much as you've done it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. 
You know what that says to me? That Jesus takes our works very seriously. But he not just only takes them seriously, he takes them personally. Our works, he takes personally. You know, I read about things like in Hebrews, it talks about make sure that you show hospitality to people because some of you, by showing hospitality, by showing mercy and compassion to others, have actually entertained angels without knowing it. That's really cool. But how about all of us when we, uh, when we do something in the name of Jesus and we go and share, uh, share a meal or reach out to someone or show compassion, Jesus says, that's me. That's me that you did that too. That's even better than doing some, uh, something and finding out in heaven that you were actually entertaining an angel. So Jesus was always moved to action with his compassion. When, when Jesus looked out over the multitudes, he saw them and he looked at them and he felt compassion on them because they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? He healed their sick. When he came to Lazarus's tomb, and I don't quite understand this, in uh, John 11, Jesus stays, he's only like three miles away, and he, uh, he finds out that his friend Lazarus, his good friend, has died, and, or that he's sick, and he stays uh, uh, for four days before he even bothers to come. Uh, but he knew what he was going to do. He arrives at the tomb, and he weeps. Now, if I were in that position, I knew I was going to raise somebody from the dead, that wouldn't be my reaction on there. But Jesus looked around at those friends and family that loved Lazarus. He looked at the, uh, Lazarus and, and uh, thought of him in the tomb, and something, compassion, welled up inside of him, and it called him to action. So he wept, and then he called Lazarus forth and uh, raised the dead. In Exodus 34, it, the Lord describes himself, and he passes by Moses, and, uh, and he proclaims his name, and he says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. That is the God that we serve. That is the God we are to imitate. That is the God who wants to put compassion in our hearts. The things that have been shown to us, the things that have been ministered to us, that sense of being rescued, we're, we're to reach out to others in compassion. I grew up in a compassionate family. I had the fortunate uh, um, privilege of being in a compassionate family. I, many of you maybe didn't have that, maybe weren't, weren't modeled compassion. But we had missionaries that were staying at our house all the time. We brought in homeless people. We brought in drug addicts. And uh, here we are, this nice suburban family. And I would say to my mom, I have a friend who's living in his car. She goes, well, it's cold outside. He can't be living in there. Paul came and lived with us for eight months, turned his life around, got discipled. Things happened. He did life uh, with us. So I was modeled that. And our... Our yard was the playground. Our house was the Norell Hotel. In fact, I can remember that got passed down to the, uh, to the next generation. My brother Rick's house was then called the Norell Hotel. And I can remember sitting at the, uh, at the breakfast table, in a nice Eden Prairie home, big house, 
and I'm sitting there talking to, uh, to Rick, and a person walks in the door, he walks behind me, he doesn't say a word, and then he walks downstairs. And I said to Rick, who is that? He goes, I have no idea. <laughs> and he's just strangers walking in and out of his house all the time. It was, it was like the abnormal was normal to, uh, to us. And then when I grew up, I befriended the people who were outcasts, the ones that nobody wanted to pay any attention to, the ones who had maybe social problems or things like that. They wouldn't, and I would, I would befriend the friendless, and that was a way to be able to minister Jesus to them. And I'd, I would share with them the gospel. It's always a two-handed thing. It's always something that when we, uh, when we pack food for hungry kids overseas, or when, uh, or when we drill a well in a village that doesn't have one, there's something of you extend mercy and compassion, but you also need to extend the gospel, the good news, the truth, because that's what people are really longing for. Of course they have physical needs, but they're, they're longing for something that, uh, that works with that deep hopelessness and despair that so many are going through, and particularly in uh, poverty situations. So um, for 14 years, we lived down in the uh, Dominican Republic in the third world. Our heart was to reach out to the hurting. You wouldn't believe what it's like when you get to be on the other end. Has anybody packed boxes for Samaritan's Purse? You know, those little shoe boxes, and you do the Christmas child thing. We get to be on the other end of the distribution of it. It's actually quite fun to go to a little village up in the mountains in Dominican Republic and hand a seven-year-old child a Christmas present. It's a little shoebox. It's got all sorts of cool little things in there. Now, this child has not only never received a Christmas present before, they've never received any type of present before in their lives. And their eyes light up. And you, along with that, you have the opportunity to be able to share truth and life and minister, uh, minister to them. We used to also minister in a leprosy center. Um, many of you don't even know that leprosy still exists on the planet. Now, if leprosy is treated, it's not contagious, but it still looks scary, okay? When people have lost uh, uh, fingers or toes or an ear or something like that, they don't, they don't look right. And they were the outcasts of society and what would happen is because they were outcasts and because they looked deformed, that no one would touch them. They would lose that sense of human touch. And, and we would go in there and talk to them and treat them like everybody else. And, and they appreciated that and ministering life to them, ministering to their practical needs. I had a friend who, uh, who made shoes for all of them. And you have to have special formed shoes when, you're, when you've lost toes or, or uh, half a foot or something like that. And he, was a, um, he made these specially formed shoes for, for them and that ministered life to them. Do you know you can ride a bicycle with only one foot? I've only seen that <laughs> once with it. Um, then we'd go and minister to a handicapped orphanage. And I would bring short-term teams into this handicapped orphanage and they would freeze when they'd first, first go in there because it's a shocking sight 
to see there were 62 people who were living in a large house, okay, but it was a big house, but not for 62 people, so it was crowded in there. And there were only six workers to take care of these mentally and physically handicapped children, some adults that were there, and the people would stand in shock at first to see a boy in a cage, to see, uh, see someone chained to, the, uh, chained to their bed. Now, this wasn't them being cruel to them. This is what the, the only thing that they knew. They didn't want these, uh, um, these kids to hurt other kids, and so they had to kind of control things. And there were six loving people who tried to be able to do everything, but they didn't have enough help. But after a little bit, they'd all start, they'd all start ministering to these kids. And when it was time to leave, they didn't want to. They didn't want to go because they had created friendships. They, had, uh, uh, they were ministering heart to heart. And these kids just soaked it in. They just loved this sort of thing. They were ministering compassion to, uh, to these children. Um, I had a funny experience minister, uh, ministering truth or ministering the gospel to someone. You end up in odd situations. We were finishing off a gospel presentation out in the park and there was a drama presentation. And okay, afterwards, we're supposed to go around to the crowd and we're supposed to talk to them. So I've decided I'm going to go over to the, that group of men over there. So I, uh, I go over and I think my opening line was something kind of simple like, do you know Jesus? And he said, uh, said to me, no, Jesus, I am Jesus. And yeah, and they all pointed at him uh, and they go, yeah, we all know Jesus. Oh, that was Jesus, the fire chief. So we had a, you know, good, uh, good time with that and then get down to talking about, uh, about Jesus. But there's, that's ministering compassion is sharing the gospel. Um, we had something wonderful happen. I've been in about two dozen different countries. We have a connection with North Africa and North, uh, North African refugees. And we taught Dominicans how to be able that they didn't just receive missionaries into their country, they could be a missionary. And so we, they went over to North Africa and I went with them and, and lived in these Muslim camps that, uh, that were there. Well, two weeks before I went over, we were, I was in Cuba and we found out that Castro had come up with a great idea. I'm gonna take 1,200 of these refugee children, ages 10 through 12, and I'm going to bring them over to Cuba and I'm going to educate them to be doctors and then I'm going to send them back and of course in the process export communism which really didn't work at all because they lived on $3 a month and they got one piece of meat a month and sometimes it's pork. Muslims don't eat pork. Uh, and so they, they appreciated the education but we went over into, into Cuba and talked to these kids and they go, in two weeks you're going to be in the camps? None of us have seen our parents or our family for 10 years. We have no communication by email, by letter. And I don't know if my parents are still alive. Can I write them a letter? Can I go, well, better than that. Let's take pictures. Let's, uh, and we'll, you'll find my mom. There's a quarter of a million people over there in the desert, in, uh, in the Sahara Desert, 
and yes, we will find your mom, and we will get this to, uh, to you. So we bring over this stuff, we bring all over these packages, and you wouldn't believe the reaction. You would, after walking miles through the desert, we would find all these people, even though they didn't have addresses. Yeah, they lived down there, they're uh, over in this direction. We would find these things. And women were fainting, they're falling on the ground, they're uh, saying, oh, my daughter, she's, uh, uh, you have news of my daughter, and here's a picture, and oh, uh, you know, tell me, tell me what's going on. Men would uh, say, my son, my lost son, here, uh, let me buy you clothing in the market, come in here for, uh, for supper, and they were so grateful. We had an inroads into the heart of these Muslim people because of the compassion that we showed. Now then what hap happened is they all started bringing gifts back to send back to their children over in Cuba. And they bring little shoe boxes or a pair of shoes or, or 10 euros or something like, uh, like that. And we ended up with 600 pounds of, uh, of things to bring back to Cuba, and including 32,000 euros, which, is, uh, which was in, in the package. And somebody says, tell them to stop. You tell them to stop. This woman just walked 30 miles to the desert to bring, to bring this pair of shoes that we can give to, uh, to her son, and we're going to tell her, oh, no, we don't have any room for it. So we made, th uh, made things happen. There's a lot more to uh, that story. Um, but God ministers because we minister out of our uh, heart of compassion. We need to care for people. We need to show that, uh, that compassion. And it's a key in life of being able to meet, reach people's hearts. Why do we pack food for hungry kids? We believe in uh, Kids Against Hunger that every human life has value. Oh, I mean, you're packing kids, uh, food for kids that you'll probably never meet. I've sent... I've sent food to some of the most difficult places on the planet. I actually got shut down trying to get food into Syria. Um, we have sent food into Lebanon, into the Syrian refugee camps, but this was actually designated to get inside of Syria for, uh, for displaced people. That one got shut down. It was a big fiasco. Um, but one of the stories that I actually love, we were sending, uh, sending a container over to Lebanon, and when it was loaded, there was a new guy who loaded it up, and he sent the container off as, you know, a semi-load as a container, sends this off, and I see the manifest, and I go, this isn't right. I go, there's twice as much food in, in there. No, no, that's the way I loaded it. That's, and I go, you do recognize you can pack those uh, pallets too high. They go, no, I didn't know that. So I'm going, oh, Lord, we sent, off, we sent off a container to Lebanon, and it's half full. So we prayed, and I don't know what happened. We prayed, Lord, multiply the food. So it arrives over there in Lebanon, and they're unloading it, and I see pictures, and it's packed all the way to the, to the ceiling of it, and... All, all the way back, the thing is completely full. So on the manifest, it was sent off half full, and we prayed, and on the other end, it was uh, sent off completely full. God did something. He multiplied the food on, uh, on the other end. And over there in Lebanon, one of our YWAM couples planted 60 churches in six months. I'm not talking about churches with steeples on top of them. I'm talking about 
groups of 10 people who were getting together, being discipled and study, uh, studying Jesus and do, uh, doing Christian life together. And, and all, but he planted these churches and along with those things, the, the two-handed gospel of ministering uh, life and mercy to people and then telling them the truth about, uh, about Jesus. Um, we hope that this, that this food will end up in Venezuela, or actually in Colombia, on the uh, Colombian side, ministering to Venezuelan refugees. Do you realize how difficult life is for people in Venezuela? Some, some of you are aware of things that are going on in the news. They, they have things that the, there's no lights, there's no power, they're turning pregnant women and go, uh, going into labor, they're turning them away from the hospital because they don't have any uh, electricity or water in the hospital. People are making um, arts and crafts out of the money because the money is, the paper is worth more than the monetary value that uh, it's worth more than what it's printed on. And so they make cute, uh, cute little things out of uh, um, arts and crafts out of it. That's how bad things are there. The average Venezuelan lost 24 pounds last year. That's, that's a big problem and it shows, you know, eating one meal a day, trying to keep your kids alive. And so we hope to get it down there, but it's gonna be a real challenge. So uh, you can be praying about, about that. Micah 6.8 tells us to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. He has shown you, oh man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? That's what he wants for each one of us to do. Um, when, when you live a life of compassion, you live a life that has value. You live a life that makes a difference. Make a difference in what you do. There's uh, people in this room who are world changers, who are going to come up with... Uh, with uh, innovative ideas as far as clean water or working with the disease like malaria or uh, um, just serving. They're serving hearts here. Lord, uh, the Lord has called you. You have individual callings. And I want to encourage you to focus on that. That is what life is all about, is being able to, to minister to others and to make a difference in the kingdom and in this world. But so live a life of compassion, have fun with it, don't just, uh, don't just show compassion out of duty, never lose that sense of being rescued. And let's ask God for a heart of compassion because it really isn't something that we can uh, just drum up on our own. It's something that God has to put in our hearts. And he says, that if we ask him, he's the, he's the one who gives good gifts and will receive those things that we ask. So that's always a good prayer to ask for compassion. Lord, I ask that you would bless each one of these students here. And Father, they have a wonderful life in store for them. They have things that you have in store for them that they have no idea of what those things will be. And I ask God, that you would sweep across this room and in their hearts, minister life and compassion to them and through them. Lord, may they be able to live a life full of compassion and may you guide them in how that exactly is to be worked out. In Jesus' name, amen.